Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello, and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself, and about the craft, culture, and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan, and I am your host and your Fireside bard. Welcome to episode 88 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we continue our look at the invasion saga of the Viking occupation of Ireland, leading up to the very decisive Battle of Tara. But before we get down to then, a big welcome to any of our, any new listeners, and a big hello to any of our regular listeners. Thank you so much for your continued support. Please follow me on Instagram at Fireside Bard if you want to get in touch and let me know what you think of the podcast or even just to say hello. Uh, please do support the Patreon if you can on patreon.com forward slash fireside podcast in these increasingly strange, strange times and in this bizarre, bizarre year. It is a particularly crazy, crazy week in Ireland where our political system is just making an absolute hames of it's just democracy is basically collapsing in Ireland even more than it normally does, which anyone who uh is in Ireland will know exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm not a very political, certainly not politicised kind of person, but there is a truly baffling amount of incompetence, uh, incompetence to put it mildly, and then corruption to put it uh, more harshly going on in this morning. And uh, Big Phil needs to go. This is all I will say on this matter. I can't, I, I don't know how, oh yes, I was saying that because I appreciate the Patreon being supported. Uh, the further and more cloudy the future seems to be get, this podcast is, it has been even more of a solace to me in these trying times than it even normally is. And it's the one piece of work and the one passion project that I have been able to keep plugging away at uh, while while the world has been in lockdown and while we await for theatres and live venues to be able to be open again so that we can do live shows and we can perform. Um, but in the but as I'm so happy that I've been able to keep this podcast going. So thank you so much to uh, particularly the most recent patrons, there's still most three recent patrons from the last week or two, which is Catherine Prasivka, Christopher and Jack. They have joined our other ever-growing list of very kind and generous benefactors. So thank you so, so much to each and every one of you. And if you can't, if you're not in a position to support the Patreon or you even can't, or you just don't want to, that is totally fine. The fact that you are listening to this is so much, and thank you so much for that. If you want to support the podcast and you can't contribute to the Patreon, why don't you either just 
tell a friend about it follow me on instagram share it on your story this this is how we reach as wide an audience as possible and that is all i want for fireside is for it to reach as wide an audience as possible as we lead up to the 100th episode which is going to be it is going to creep around sooner rather than later but the story for this week is this invasion saga as i've been titling it of this uncharted territory in Fireside where I just wanted to explore a little bit of the incredibly fascinating period of Irish history, which is the Viking invasion, where the Celtic mythology and the Norse mythology were mixed. And at the end of it, everyone was Christian. But it's a particularly cloudy, misunderstood period of Irish history, understandably because there's not a huge amount of historical evidence for a huge amount of it. Uh, to, to put it, uh, to prove a point, it was only actually quite clear how important Dublin was as a city in the Viking area, in the Viking Empire, as recent as the 1970s. That is when there was a massive excavation at Wood Quay which is, they think, where Dublin was founded from or where the Vikings certainly built their first their first encampment and that was only really discovered in 1970s in the 1970s when the Dublin city council was trying to build another council building and all of a sudden this huge amount of of old ship and houses and this entire encampment was discovered uh, by Christchurch Cathedral if you're familiar with Dublin and all it was around that area and now we just have these they have little um, plaques all around as as a marker of this, but I mean, it could actually be an awful lot more. Uh, I suppose we still have Dublinia, which is worth checking out. I checked out Dublinia, which is the museum that explores the Viking period of Ireland. It's quite bare bones, uh, but it is a good one for good one for the family, and it kind of goes into the Middle Ages as well, which is particularly fascinating and untalked about period of Irish history. So check that out if you are in Dublin or even if you're from around Ireland and looking for something to do in Dublin. It is back open. It is back open during the uh, from after the pandemic. But this week we the last time we it's been a few weeks since we did the Vikings landing and Turgay's and his defeat at the hands of Mail Shocknell. So check that out if you haven't before. I'd probably listen to this before you listen to the Battle of Tara if you haven't, if you haven't, because this kind of does check back in there. I'll try and catch up even for the most part. And then we had the origin of the Norse to colour this world a little bit and just to learn a bit more about these figures and who they want, what they wanted when they came to Ireland and indeed came to stay. So we check back in there and this is... I've never really had a huge... Well, I always loved history, but history was not something is something I was quite hesitant to do in this podcast because I am a storyteller and not a historian, and I am much more interested in the narrative for the purposes of this podcast. I will never say something that I consciously know is wrong, of course not, and I will do as much of my research as I possibly can. And this is quite a difficult area of Irish history to do a huge amount of research on because there isn't a huge amount openly available. I have found some very good sources that I've been going from, but uh, for the most part, I'm chipping away at it and trying to figure it out and trying to put some kind of structure on it. Uh, ideally, a three, a beginning, middle and end, which of course Irish history never does, or any kind of history never, never subscribes to 
the, you know the ideals of storytelling as we would like you know the the truth is always stranger than fiction as they say however every so often history does provide you with a little gem where if you saw it written down you would never believe that it was true if someone told you it in a film you think it was surely false but sometimes they are the truth and there's a couple of nuggets like that in there I hope you enjoy it. We'll talk a bit more after it. And this is The Battle of Tara on Fireside. The Battle of Tara. It had been over 100 years since the founding of the settlement of Dublin by Turgays and the Norse invaders, and 150 since the first Viking raids ravaged the Irish coastline. The wars of the Gael and the Gaul raged. At the time of the Norse arrival, there had never been one high king over the entire island. There was the position of high king, but this was largely symbolic, and the island was ruled individually by hundreds of Tua clans, each with their own warriors, chiefs and kings. Greatest of all the Gaelic families was the Unil, who were began by the legendary Nile of the Nine Hostages, who had taken a hostage from the nine major families of Era in an attempt to unite the island at last as one kingdom. Nile had seven sons, who split their father's kingdom following his death. Connell Gulban and Owen took the northmost part of the island, becoming the northern Unil and Enda, Corpora, Lyra, Connell, Kremhanna, and Fiaknu became the southern O'Neill branch. United, they were the O'Neill dynasty. However, they were rarely, if ever, united. Male Shocknall MacRooney, or Malachy MacMulrooney, as he was also known, had been High King of Ireland during the reign of Turgays, the reported first Norse king of Dublin. Following a plot to marry Turgays to Malachy's daughter, the O'Neill king kidnapped Turgays and drowned him in Loch Owl. This was the first major defeat of the Vikings by the warring clans of Era. It would not be the last. The last great wave of Norse ships arrived in 853, led by Olaf the White, who was then named Viking King of Dublin. From that time until their departure or assimilation into the invaded peoples, the Norse in Ireland were essentially on their own, and there was a very special reason for this. Iceland. The great landmass of Iceland was discovered by the Vikings not long after Olaf the White arrived in Dublin. Ireland had been a great source of land, wealth and slaves for the Norse and Dublin had become one of the most important cities of the Viking Age. But Ireland was also full of wild and warring natives. The natives could never match the Vikings on the realm of the sea but on their own land the Celts' use of guerrilla warfare assured they were a formidable foe and every bit as fierce as the Norse. It's said that when the first Viking settlers landed in Iceland, they thought they had reached Valhalla, the Hall of Odin, the Allfather, where only the fiercest warriors went when they had died, and only if they died in battle. 
Valhalla is where these dead warriors, or Einherjar, fight all day and drink and feast all night as they prepare for Ragnarok, the end of days, when the giants of Jotunheim will join the children of Loki and fight a war with the gods, and the gods will lose. When those first settlers sailed west from Norway and discovered a new island nation with a landscape of volcanoes, geysers, hot springs and lava fields, you'd forgive them for thinking they had stumbled into the afterlife. The island may not have been Valhalla, but what it was was so beautiful that one of the first settlers there said that butter dripped off the grass. Most importantly, though, Iceland had no Celtic natives to oppose. In fact, Iceland was totally unoccupied. The still-growing Norse Empire stopped sending ships to the war in Ireland and began the settlement of Iceland. Even some of the Norse already settled in Ireland left the Celtic nation for this foe Valhalla. But there was another reason the Norse began to lose control in Ireland. There was a Viking king named Ivar the Boneless, youngest son of legendary Viking Ragnar Lothbrok. Ivar was so named, it is thought, because his mother was a witch, who was told to wait three days before consummating her marriage with Ragnar. However, the king returned from battle with a terrible lust and consummated the marriage too soon, resulting in Ivar being born with weak bones, preventing him from ever walking. Despite this disability, Ivar the Boneless was a fearsome sea king who invaded Anglo-Saxon England. He called on his ally in Dublin, Olaf the White, to aid him in this English war. Some say Olaf too was descended from Ragnar, being the son of Ivar's much older brother, Sigurd Snake in the Eye. While Ivar and Olaf turned their attention to Anglo-Saxon England, the individual clans of the Uniel rose up attempting to take back the lands from the Vikings. Eventually, the Viking lords returned, but this time, the only way for them to defeat the Irish was to form alliances with other Irish. This is where the narrative truly blurs, and why the conceit that the wars of the Gael and the Gaul were simply fought as Viking versus Irishman is a grossly oversimplified myth. Over the course of the some 200 years of Norse occupation in Ireland, there were many cases of Viking against Viking and Irish against Irish. But that really starts with the alliance between Ivar the Boneless, Olaf the White, and Kerbal Macdunley, the King of Ossory. The northern and southern O'Neill may have dominated in the north half of Ireland, but the southern provinces were still anyone's game, and Ossory was a kingdom where today the counties of Kilkenny and Leash stand. The king of Ossory joined Ivar and Olaf to fight the O'Neill and Malachi Mulrooney, and by the time of the death of Ivar the Boneless, he was recorded as the king of England and Ireland. Over the subsequent 100 years, the Vikings lost and gained power throughout the island. They lost control of Dublin, 
their most important city for 15 years before another raiding wave arrived to reclaim it. In the latter half of the 10th century, the Vikings in Ireland began to focus more and more on trade, not pillage or war. The Irish language words for market and penny come from the Old Norse, marge and pingin. The Norse were the first to ever mint coins on this island. By the year 980, the Viking king was Olaf Curran. Yes, there were a significant number of Olafs and Ivars, as well as Sigurds, Ragnars and Sitrigs. When Olaf was king of Dublin, the king of the southern Unil was Mael Shocknell, the direct descendant of the Mael Shocknell MacRui, who had defeated Turges, the first Viking king of Dublin, over 100 years earlier. After such a long time of occupation, subjugation and war, Mael Shocknell was determined to once and for all drive the Norse out of Ireland. He knew that to truly uproot Norse power in Ireland, he would have to control Dublin. Mael Shocknell combined the forces of Meath with the support from Ulster and Leinster. The Norse army of Dublin was led by Olaf Curran, who also held the title of King of York in England. He was supported by Norse from the Scottish islands of the Hebrides, who were led by Olaf's own son, Ragnar. The site of the battle was near the Viking capital on the hill of Tara, the seat of the High Kings, where the Tua de Danann had placed on Leofall the Stone of Destiny to declare the High Kings of Ireland. There was a massive symbolism, of course, to this site of the battle, but there was also a strategy. The Hill of Tara allowed the native Irish to use their knowledge of the uneven terrain to their advantage. The battle lasted for three long days and nights. The Norse had always found in the Irish a fair fight, but they had always been the better fighters by land and sea. But the Irish had learned much from a century of skirmishes with the invaders. The Norse had brought the battle-axe to the island, which the Irish had adopted with great fervour. Regardless, whether by the axe or the sword, the Vikings suffered a devastating defeat at the hands of Mael Shocknell and the Unil clan. From the hill of Tara, the successful army of Meath went on to siege the city of Dublin until the city was forced to surrender to the High King. Ragnall, son of Olaf, and leader of the Norse from the Hebrides had died in the battle, and Olaf fled from Ireland to live out the rest of his days on the Viking island of Iona. It is said that after his victory in battle, Nael Shocknell shouted to his victorious countrymen, Every one of the Gael who is in the territory of the foreigners, in servitude and bondage, let him go to his own territory in peace and happiness. The Battle of Tara is one of the least documented and remembered battles in Irish history and lore which is unfortunate and baffling because it was the single most decisive victory for the Irish over the Norse invaders, far more significant than the far more famous and epic Battle of Clontarf. The Vikings would never again gain the same level of power and influence over the island of Ireland. 
but they were far from defeated. Mael Shocknell ruled as High King of Ireland for another 22 years until he was overthrown by a new king. A man from a small kingdom called Dal Kesh in the southern province of Munster. A king whose name came from the cattle tributes owed to him. The thousand-year king, Brian Baru. To be continued. Folks, as you all know, Fireside is a proud son of the Headstuff Podcast Network, which is Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts and a loving home for the creative and indeed the curious. There are so many other podcasts I could recommend to you on the network, some of which inspired me to approach Headstuff myself. Here's a taste of one you might enjoy. When it comes to understanding political issues, I am a self-confessed toddler. That's why I've enlisted the help of Steve, my politically savvy drinking buddy, to help me better understand politics. Every couple of weeks, we get together and record on topics like what is the politics of language, what is Watergate, how the internet is killing democracy. We take these big issues and we break them down into silly little comedic bite-sized bits. If you like the sound of that, then search for What Am Politics in your podcast app of choice or find us here on the Headstuff Podcast Network. And there we have the Battle of Tara and the leading up to the Battle of Tara on Fireside. I hope you enjoyed it. A very different one. Quite convoluted. A lot of information thrown at you. I hope I hope there was some kind of through line. I hope I, I managed to do an alright job of this. This, like I said there, this was probably one of the more difficult episodes of Fireside to write because there is just nothing on this battle. This I've listened to many many hours of history lectures on the Viking history in Ireland and the Battle of Tara so rarely gets brought up. There's a History of Ireland series that I listened to that I mentioned um BBC Northern Ireland series that's fantastic over the course of 250 five minute episodes they tell the entire history of Ireland from nobody being here right up to the start of world the outbreak of World War Two, and there's no mention of the Battle of Tara there it is just all the Battle of Clontarf and the Battle of Clontarf if you haven't heard of it before we're going to get into that quite soon so I won't talk too much about that because I don't want to give away the game too much but it is one of the most famous battles in all of Irish history and one of the most misunderstood battles in Irish history it is considered that the Battle of Clontarf that that is where Brian Baru, the High King got rid of the Vikings when it is as I said a gross oversimplification and basically not true at all and the Battle of Tara was a far more decisive battle and I only discovered the the Battle of Tara in the first place in an unusual spot in uh, the Great Courses book on the Vikings, which I started reading because it it presented the story. I knew Ireland was an important nation in the Viking Empire, so I knew any comprehensive history of the Viking period would have to include parts about Ireland. And I was really interested in hearing about the Viking occupation of Ireland, not from the 
uh, not from the perspective of the Irish because there has been a huge uh, false narrative and myth of it being as simple as Viking bad, Irish good and that it was as simple as Irish versus the Vikings when it was hugely more complex than that far more complex than I could ever go into on this podcast why take it on at all you say I don't know to be honest but I am loving it nonetheless I'm loving discovering a part of Irish history that people that a lot of people are a bit familiar with but never really too we know anyone who lives in Dublin knows that it is a Viking city and I'm from Wicklow which is a Viking town and we know that we are a Viking nation because the Romans were never in Ireland they never reached this far so we have the Vikings to thank for our towns and cities but we don't know a huge amount more than that or I certainly didn't Um, so that's part of why I wanted to do this invasion saga was to explore this period of Irish history that is still where myth and myth and history merge and and cloud and you have a lot of contradictions which you don't expect to find as much in history as you do in myth. Take for example, we talked a little bit about Ivar the Boneless, who is a fascinating one of the sons of Ragnar Lothbrook. Ragnar Lothbrook, who is this this great figure in Viking history where there is no primary resource resource for his existence, but there is primary resources for all of his son's existence. And he had many and they were all kings, of which Sigurd, Snake in the Eye, was one, and Ivar the Boneless was another as well. And it is the story of Ragnar and his family is the series on the History Channel, the Vi- or Vikings, which all shoots in my home of Wicklow. And uh, Olaf the White, the king of Dublin, I saw things saying that Olaf was Ivar's brother. I saw things saying that he was a descendant of Ragnar, like quite a distant descendant, which the fact that he was around the same time as Ivar the Boneless, who was definitely Ragnar's son, uh, is another thing. Some some things I read said that Olaf was Ragnar himself, or that uh, that Turges was Ragnar, and we just don't know. And even Ivar the Boneless, I told the story of one of the stories of why it is thought he's called the Boneless because his mother was a witch, and his, the marriage was consummated too soon. There's many other reasons we don't know ultimately why he was called Ivar the Boneless. There was a thought that uh, it was just because he was impotent and that he couldn't have any children, and that was why he was called us. And those are things we don't know, and that's, that's again, much more getting into the actual Scandinavian lore and history uh, rather than the Irish. But I think it is very important because the discovery of Iceland played more of a role in the the loss of interest in Ireland and why the great fleets, the great Viking fleets stopped coming here. And that is, uh, and because Iceland was un- unoccupied and Iceland is hugely important because the reason we have any of these sources of these stories of Odin and Thor and any of these sagas, they're all from these Icelandic sagas. It's the Icelandics that really wrote all of these down in the 9th and 10th century. It's the Icelandic Vikings we have to thank, or the Icelandic uh, Norse that we have to thank for uh, all of these stories, that they were the ones who wrote them down and wrote them down beautifully in the likes of the Poetic Edda and the Prose Edda. And so I thought that was worth mentioning as well and tying in with the fact that they knew that they had thought initially that they had found Valhalla. But all of this... 
Begavard and I, I started pressing play on it. None of this I would have discovered. I've had it backed up in other sources that I've had. I was able to find that great quote from Mel Shocknell uh, about when he conquered Ireland there, saying that there are con- <laughs> defeated the Vikings at the Battle of Tara. I found all of this out because of the Vikings and the great courses by with the Professor Kenneth Harrell. Yeah. Kenneth W. Harrell. So big props to him. It's great, great series. What of it I have listened to one of the lectures. I have mainly been focusing on either the Viking occupation in Ireland or about the Norse beliefs. It's really interesting to hear the Norse beliefs and religion spoken about from a historical point of view when I've listened to it mostly from uh, purely a narrative and storytelling point of view. So it's really nice to get the other perspective of it and find out what, what the Norse read to each other as stories and what they actually prayed to. But, yeah, if we were going to, there's been a huge, uh, there's been a, plenty of people asking about me, am I going to go into Brian Baru? And Brian Baru is more famous a king than a lot of the mythological kings and I'm sure there's plenty of people who think he is a character from myth and he basically might as well have been for how much his legend has grown and how much the narrative has changed and that there is just this general perception that it was Brian Baru who defeated the Vikings and so if I was going to explore that and I wanted to delve into this Viking period and to talk about some of the Norse beliefs and how they were the same and how they were different to what the Irish believed if I was going to tackle Brian Baru I had to look at the whole picture and I'm really glad I did but you got episodes like this where this was a very informative episode I don't know if this was entertaining or interesting to listen to at all I hope it was because it took a lot of work and I was working with very little sources but I was doing with what I could and I think there's a lot here and I hope it does all tie together because one final thing that I will talk about is the O'Neill will come up more and more and the O'Neill was this great clan or series of clans like there's the northern and the southern O'Neill and you often see like O'Neills fighting against other O'Neills it's more complicated than a Song of Ice and Fire which is really saying something and it's history like this that a Song of Ice and Fire is based on and but the most fascinating thing about the O'Neill is that they are descended from Nile of the Nine Hostages, which was an episode that we did so long back. I'm going to, I must put into the show notes um, which episode that was, Nile of the Nine Hostages, which was episode 34 of Fireside. If you want to scroll back down, if you want a bit of a refresher, all the way, like we're on, again, we're on 88 now, and that was episode 34, was the story of Nile and the Nine Hostages. So we have, again, it all coming back to the mythology, and again, Nile probably was a real person, but his legend was, of course, much uh, overstated or exaggerated, but that's how close we are. Like the O'Neill only really started to rise up just around the fourth and fifth century, and in the ninth and ninth and tenth, when the Vikings they are the dominant force and they are the main threat against the Vikings, and that's how close we are to our mythological cycles. That's why, like, where this new invader invasion saga picks up is right where the historical cycle left off which is the most recent one. We finished our four cycles with the Ulster cycle because it was the most grand and epic and had the most amount of stories and it felt like it should be the last one. But 
uh, canonically or historically, certainly the historical cycle is the most recent. And it basically picks up right from then with the 8th century with the Vikings invasion. So check out Nile the Nine Hostages if you want a bit of a refresher on him and just see how this all ties in together in some way. So yeah, that was a, a dense episode and one that was mostly information more than a story. But I hope you did find there was some narrative there because it was very interesting stuff to to sift through. And it all will be delighted when we get to the Battle of Clontarf and we look back on having looked somewhat comprehensively at the big story, at the bigger picture of the Norse invasion of Ireland. And again, there are plenty of Irish history podcasts and history sources that will handle the history better than me. All I'm trying to do is put some kind of narrative on this. I'm not too preoccupied if something is more known by legend. Like I don't mind saying that if something is a legend that may not may or may not have been true. I'm not going to... Uh, say something that has definitely been proven false, but I am in a lucky position as a storyteller where I can stride that line where if I've heard, if I see something as a legend or a rumour, I can test the limits of that a little bit just in to try and find characters amid the history. So I think I will wrap things up there. I think that's all there's to say. I hope you enjoyed the episode again. said that many, many times. Let me know what you thought. Uh, thank you so much to Alan, Paddy and Connor here at Headstuff. Thank you so much to Jamie Reynolds, my producer and editor, for continuing to edit this and make it sound lovely. Thank you so much to each of you for listening. Follow me on Instagram at FiresideBard. Contact me by email at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Support the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash firesidepodcast. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.